You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone, and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his law. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws, and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart and he went away to his own country. Well, uh, let me pray for us as we come to this very precious time together of opening God's Word and um, being taught from the Bible. Let's pray. Uh, Dearest Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you so much uh, for all the blessings that you bestow upon us every day. Uh, We thank you for this sun that is shining. Uh, We thank you for the gift of one another. Uh, We thank you for your leadership of us by your Son, Jesus, Uh, We thank you for the changing and the correction um, and the challenging and the joy that we have because your spirit has taken up residence in our hearts. Uh, We pray that uh, these next few minutes uh, would be um, used by you uh, to enlarge our hearts, the greater faith and a greater desire for Jesus, uh, that we would be a people who turn from our ways and turn to Jesus' ways as you lead us and transform us and shape us to be your children. We ask for your help now, in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. Well, church, uh, we are in Exodus 18, as we've heard. 
Um, this is a passage um, to when God was able to give his people confidence in the leader that they were to follow as they marched towards the promised land. This is a passage that speaks to when God was able to give his people confidence in the leader that they were about to follow as they marched towards the promised land. And it's a passage that's really useful for us as well as followers of Jesus. It's a passage that's really useful for us because it's a passage that encourages us in our journey with Jesus as we follow him from today or maybe even from the first, for the first time today. Uh, it's a passage that encourages us because he is someone that is leading us to an even greater promised land. And it's a passage that gives us an even greater confidence than what Israel had in Moses. Uh, we have an even greater confidence to follow the true and better Moses, who is Jesus. So uh, what I want to say today is uh, going to be pretty, I'm trying to keep it pretty simple. Um, it's going to be a pretty uh, basic outline. I'm going to go with three points, okay? And first point is a bit of recap. I'm going to look at what has happened so far. The second point we're going to talk about is what are the obvious comments that you would make from this passage? What are the obvious things that you see in these words? And then lastly, we want to talk about but what are we learning about the gospel of Jesus? What are we learning about the gospel of Jesus? So what has happened so far? What are the obvious comments to make? And then what are we learning about the gospel of Jesus? Those headings are very inspirational, I know. And the alliteration is on point. Said no one ever. Anyway, let's get dive in. What has happened so far? What has happened so far? Well, we'll see uh, in a moment this chapter 18 uh, acts a lot like a bridging passage uh, for the way that the book of Exodus has been structured. Um, and it's important to understand what this bridging passage is bridging us from and what it is bridging us to. What is this passage bridging us from? Well, we've, we've seen already, haven't we, that the book of Exodus has been this momentous, epic, amazing story of love and of triumph and of rescue and of hope. So far through the book of Exodus, we have seen that this, the story of God's people, as they've been drawn out and rescued from the oppression of Egypt, we've seen that it's a good news gospel story, haven't we? It's a good news gospel story. That God has seen the affliction of his people, that he has responded to their groanings and to their longings. And that God in his mercy and in his grace, he has come down to rescue and to then lead his people towards the promised land. I hope that you've, I hope, you know, I hope that maybe you can even predict what I'm about to say next. That the book of Exodus, it's a reminder of the true and better and bigger gospel story, isn't it? Of how Jesus God's son comes down to rescue and to lead us out of the Egypt, which is our sin. Up to this point in the book of Exodus, a lot of what we've seen in the gospel story is salvation, isn't it? A lot of what we've seen is rescue. It's the moment of God taking his people out of that place of oppression and they're no longer slaves in Egypt. It's been about the rescue. It's been about Salvation. 
Now, this passage is bridging us towards sort of what you might call the next section of Exodus, which is the idea of transformation. Transformation. Or what the Bible would call sanctification. We're moving from salvation to sanctification. Now, that shouldn't surprise us, should it? Uh, For those of us that know the good news report of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is our story as followers of Jesus as well, isn't it? That we too are a people that have been saved, saved from sin, but also been saved for mission. That we who have been drawn out and rescued from the sin of ourselves, the sin of society, the sin of this world, we have been saved from that by Jesus and that we've been given the gift of his Holy Spirit to then renew us and to transform us every day to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news of the salvation we have in Jesus and then the everyday transformation we have in Jesus. It's, it's so much part of the life and the joy of doing life with Jesus, of journeying with Jesus, that there's no such, there should never be such thing as being a stale, cobwebbed, you know, creaky, rusty Christian, because we should always be on the move. There should be always something that God is doing in our heart to conform us to the image of his son. The gospel is that Jesus would take those who were once sinners and that he would renew their life toward being saints of transformation, of of salvation to sanctification. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus, as he comes on the scene, and his opening words are, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's saying, turn to me, because hey, guess what? Everything's going to (laughs) change. Everything's going to change. I'm going to change you. I'm going to change the society that you live in. And it's all a destination to the greater and promised land, the kingdom of God. That's what we're being changed for. That's what we're being changed towards. And we're being changed And as we go, Jesus changes us so we can call others to be changed by Jesus also. So we're in Exodus 18, this bridging passage from salvation towards transformation. Now, what we've seen last week and what we see the theme is for this week is that in this first step towards transformation, God is is taking his people through these early stages of testing and refining their character of testing and refining their character. Now, we would have seen this last week, um, that God, as he took his people out, he said, I'm going to test them. And he put them in the wilderness. And they started whinging and complaining about no bread and no water and no meat. God was testing his people. He, He was testing them to show them his provision. And he was leading them so that he could show that he's the one that will provide their protection. And he was making sure that he was going to... in. He was ensuring their perseverance. He was allowing some small hardships to come upon them so that their attitude and that their, their, their default ways of thinking would be ones of dependence on God and delight in God in what he was leading them in. God was ensuring their perseverance. And what we see in Exodus 18 in this, in this bridging passage, there is still this theme of perseverance But it's now no longer the necessary nourishment of food, but it's in the the sensible sustaining of their leaders. God's enduring his people's perseverance, not with the necessary nourishment of food, but now 
with the, sens- the sensible sustaining of their leaders. So we're going to look at God reassuring and refining the character of his saved children and how that speaks to us as he will reassure and refine our character today. So that's what's happened so far. A mighty rescue, a mighty salvation that is leading to God's moments and God's opportunity for their wonderful transformation. That's what's happened so far. Point two. Now, what are the obvious comments to make? What are the obvious comments to make from this passage? Two subheadings, celebration, delegation. Celebration and delegation. So we've got sharing the good news and sharing the family load. We see first up in this passage, the first obvious comment that we would have to make as you read through this and make some observation as you go through. The first one is celebration. Verse 5 we see, uh, we read, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, he came with his sons and these Moses' sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where, we, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. So we meet this character, Jethro, again. Uh, Jethro has made his appearances a few times now already in the book of Exodus. Jethro was where uh, Jethro first heard about Moses from his daughters. So Moses, you might have heard about how he killed the guy. Not cool. And then Pharaoh wanted to kill Moses. So Moses flees out into the wilderness. And then there's some, uh, there's some uh, women out there and Moses helps them out. And then they, the, these women go back to their dad and they're like, why are you, dad's like, why are you back so soon? He's like, oh, there's this guy. There was this guy and he, he helped us out. And Jethro's like, well, just bring him back here. He's like, I've got so many daughters. Can I have a chat with the guy? It, that's not in the Bible, but that's, I'm sort of reading between the lines. He brings, them, he brings Moses in and Moses marries Jethro's daughter, Sipporah. And then Moses becomes part of the family. And then there's a bit of nepotism that goes on. Moses gets a job under Jethro. Uh, and Moses is one of, uh, Moses is working for Jethro, shepherding Jethro's sheep in the wilderness. Now we also know that there was a moment when Moses was in the wilderness and ironically, not ironically, it's a, God, I see what you did there, back at this mountain where it all began. So this is the, con- this is the setting where we are. We're back to the same place where it started. God appears to Moses in a burning bush and we know the story, what happened. But Moses first got some respect for the father-in-law. You know, brownie points to Moses. He goes and chats to Jethro. He's like, Jethro, Uh, look, I'm not quitting, but can I just take some extended leave because I have a call of God on my life to go ransom and rescue and lead the people out of Egypt. And Jethro's just like, yeah, sure. You know, this sort of thing often happens to my employees and (laughs) sons-in-law. So Moses goes off and God does his thing and now they're back at the same point again. And Jethro has heard what has happened. It's like, oh, gee, well done, Moses. That turns out that the the call was legit. (laughs) And we're back. And they're chatting. And Moses is saying, talking to Jethro about how it's all gone. The last conversation they had was like, Jethro, I'm off to do, I'm off, you know, I've got a mission from God. Now they're back. And they're giving the after actions review of the mission. Sorry for people in the army, you'll know what that means. Verse 8. Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake all the hardships that come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro, 
Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the land of Egypt. Jethro said, Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair, they have dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. So we see that in light of this report from Moses, in light of this good gospel news of salvation and of deliverance and of, and of, of the drawing out of the people of Egypt, there's this sharing of God's goodness between Moses and Jethro. And what happens? They party. They party. Jethro's like, now I believe. There is praise at the fulfillment of God's promises. It's like, whoa, that's amazing. Like you, like you had this, God, you felt this call on your life from God to go and do this thing and look what God has do, done. Holy moly, that's amazing. That's amazing. Like, come on, let's sacrifice, let's feast, let's party. There's praise. There's rightful praise. Praise at the reality of undeserved mercy and favour from a mighty and fearsome God. There's praise. There's a party. There's celebration. So what's... The obvious question from this perhaps obvious observation. I feel I have to ask, does your life or does the life of our church family display a pattern of remembering and rejoicing in the rescue that God has won for us? Does your life display a pattern of remembering and rejoicing in the rescue that God has won for you? Are you someone that knows how to delight in God with others? Or are you someone who lives only to do what you think is your duty for God on your own? Like, I love what's being modelled here, just the honesty of this encounter, Moses and Jethro. It just goes, to, like, it's a, if, cast your mind back to, you know, uh, what was it, that series we did, Enjoying God at the start of the year. We're thinking about, you know, Augustine. He says, love God, start there, then do what you want. That idea of it's, you know, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Don't make a perfectly formed and well done noise. Like, make a joyful, like, it's the hearts that God is after. The two actions from two different people can look exactly the same. But God doesn't look on external appearances. He looks upon the heart. And we see here this wonderful expression of Jethro's heart and Moses' heart. They just want to tell, show and tell all that God has done. And shouldn't that be the reality for the people of God? Shouldn't that be our reality? That we should be able to share in our lives, like, what is God, what is God doing? Like, what is, what is God doing in your life this week? Well, you know what? I just had this moment where I just wanted to take a risk of faith. You know what happened? You know, I had someone over, we, whatever it might be. 
but doing it for the glory of God and from the joy that comes from in knowing God? Does your life display a pattern of remembering and rejoicing in the rescue that God has won for you? Do you know the significance of that rescue? Like, one of the reasons that I don't, like, I don't really care about AFL football teams is <laughs> I used to work with a guy uh, whose his entire emotional disposition for the week was always going to be based on whether or not his football team won or lost on the weekend. I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, this guy's entire personality is driven by this one team that, like, he, he sucks at football, this bloke, you know. <laughs> How much more should our attitude and our priorities and our emotional disposition be shaped by the victory that Jesus has won on our behalf? How much more? The freedom and the peace that we have in Jesus. Like, uh, had an awesome opportunity to speak to some of my, they're kind of like workmates. I work in a co-shared office space in Torquay um, where it's great. There's a bunch of people that are all got startups and, you know, and uh, what's your startup? Oh, you know, I'm in IT, I'm in medical research, I'm in business consulting, I s- help start a church. You know, we're a motley crew. And the, the, to- the topic came up of talking, like, you know, religion, you know, well, why would you be a physio and then become a pastor? And it, I love that question. It's great. And, we, that, you know, and then their comment is, oh, I, I would be a Hindu if I had to pick a religion. And I said, oh, I couldn't do that. I could not do that. What do you mean? What do you mean you couldn't be a Hindu? What do you mean you couldn't do that? Well, I said, oh, look, Hinduism, Buddhism, atheism, Jehovah's Witnessism, Mormonism, sometimes even a little bit of the Catholicism. Like, you know, it's all like, I'm not signing up for that. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Well, the beauty of the Christian faith, the beauty of the teaching of the Bible is that you you are so secure in your love from God because there is no earning and deserving and always fearing whether or not you've done enough, fearing whether or not your karma is balanced. There's there's, There's none of this trying to live with all of your energy so that maybe one day the God of that religion will be happy with you. I can't do that. I'm not gonna I'm not signing up for that. I'm following Jesus who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm following Jesus, who, who has already died for my sin, who has already paid the price for my sin, who says, you see, I see all of your wretchedness and all of the ways that you, you have failed. Do you know what? You actually can't clean yourself up. You suck. But I can clean you up. And you see all of that mess. You see your, you know, the, the thing that is going to condemn you. I'll take that. I'll take that away. I'm going to nail it to the cross. It's dead. You can have my resume of righteousness. Here's the confidence of your life before God. It's my life. And do you see what that means? All the energy that I would put into, that I, would have, I could have put into trying to please Buddha or whoever it might be, I now get to live in just living with Jesus and living with God, knowing that I am accepted. Anything, any energy I put into my life now is from a posture of acceptance and from a posture of confirmed and absolute love. How good. I'm no longer earning any more love. I'm living from love. I'm delighting in God. Anyway, sorry, we, that's not in my notes. I'm getting away from that. But celebrate. Church, celebrate. Think about and meditate on what Jesus has done for you. Take in your sin. Nailed it to the tree. He who knew no sin became sin for you so that you might become the righteousness of God. That is incredibly good news and it's a free gift. 
free gift. Just believe it and posture your life after him and follow him. Keep moving in that direction with Jesus and let him change you and mold you and excite you and energize you. Pray to him. See what he wants to do in your life. Anyway, next point. Celebration. Delegation is the other obvious topic. We could talk about the gospel all day and I want to, but thank you. Anyway, (laughs) this passage. All right. Celebration was the first one. The second obvious thing that we want to look at, which is probably what most people, which is the the easy preach, I reckon, is uh, delegation. Uh, Exodus 18, we see that there's a significant reorganization of the people of God because of the grace of God. There's a significant reorganization for the people of God because of the grace of God. Um, What we see here is that father-in-law Jethro gives son-in-law Moses some leadership lessons to enhance his longevity. Read from from verse 13. The next day, sorry, next day after the party, Moses sat down to judge the people and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw that all he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you were doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, uh, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When, when they have a dispute, they, they come to me and, and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people will you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. See, burnout was a thing even back in Exodus. There you go. For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now, obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties and of tens and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you. But any small matter, they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you. And they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure. And all this, sorry, and all this people will go to their place in peace. Wish I was as cool as him. Now, if we remember the context of this passage, Moses used to be underneath Jethro's leadership. He was the shepherd of his sheep. Uh, now, Moses, he's kind of got like the single shepherd mentality, doesn't he? That's what he's come from. That's his, that's his work history. Um, now, however, uh, now, however, he is being led by his father-in-law from being a shepherd of all the sheep to being a shepherd of the shepherds. So to see, there's like a, uh, you know, there's like a, an org chart happening here, you know, into the, uh, some stone tablets. Maybe we'll find that. Who knows? 
So what's the goal here? Why is Jethro saying this to Moses? Why is he saying delegate out some of this responsibility? The goal here is longevity. Share the load and endure for the long term. Share the load and endure for the long term. Now, we have, like it's obvious, Moses was very capable. Moses was efficient, obedient. He was leading well, but Jethro saw something, didn't he? He saw something. Verse 17, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. for The thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. And the solution? Find the men of good character and share the shepherding load. Notice that too. Notice the type of person that Jethro calls He's not employing men of high capability. He's employing men of high character. Moses is not looking for people with resumes of experience in high-level negotiational tactics. Yes, amen. He's looking for people with high levels of relational trust. Now, this is a pattern we see all through the Bible, isn't it? Um, we get into the New Testament, the time after Jesus, uh, and the time of Jesus, we see that Jesus calls apostles. Uh, later on, we see that the apostles, they call stewards. Later on, we see churches, they call elders and deacons and contributors and volunteers so that the kingdom of God can be proclaimed to all the ends of the earth. So I think the obvious observation in this text is the necessary and important part of delegation and sharing of responsibility that has to happen amongst God's people for the longevity of God's people. So what's the obvious question from this obvious observation? <laughs> well, fun- funnily enough, um, you know, it's, uh, I didn't plan on like lining up my holiday with this passage. <laughs> Let me tell you, like the holiday isn't because I'm done and it's... <laughs> The holiday is because I can, right? The holiday is because I can. Um, and the borders are open right now. So make the most of it anyway. So let me say, church, I'm so thankful that we, that we already have trustworthy volunteers in this church family so that I can take a holiday, right? That we already have gospel community leaders of high character, uh, that we have a man like Joash on the pastor pathway, uh, that, you know, like, I'm not worried at all. Like, God is sovereign and you guys are legends. We, we, we know, we're... We're f- like, we're going to be fine. I'm, like, I'm not taking a holiday because I'm done, because I can. But um, it is worth saying at this point, uh, there is a danger to planting a church like City on a Hill, where everything looks great. Um, we don't have a lot of visitors today. Uh, if you're visiting, it's great that you're here. Um, Often I've heard, uh, especially in the City on a Hill church context, because things are, you know, a little bit professional. I mean, I'm not talking about myself, you know, you know me. But, you know, we have nice sandwich boards, we have fancy flags, you know, we have, that, that speaker is quite expensive, um, so I'm told. But it, what it can do is that as we, you know, as we're sort of, you know, I think City on a Hill is kind of like the duck on the water type of analogy. You know, well, this church plant is anyway. You know, it looks fine, basically going across the top. I don't know, it's just... Gee, I'm glad this is not going on Zoom for that to be recorded. I could have been a meme. Anyway. 
Anyway, that one of the dangers of planning a church like City on a Hill is things can look slick and polished and refined and shiny and re look really good. And what that can do is people can come and can consume and they can go, ah, everything's fine. It's fine. It's sorted. Yeah, City on a Hill, they're awesome, man. Yeah, yeah. One of those churches, super slick. Have you like seen their Instagram account? Man, they use nice fonts. Fonts are so nice. Great fonts. Yeah. So let me just say, um, there's plenty of ways for us to contribute to the life of this church, despite maybe the polished look that it might have. Look, I'm, I reckon it looks pretty good, you know. But anyway, there's plenty of ways for us to get involved and to serve. You know, admin, city kids, youth, music, setup, hospitality, midweek mission, photography, videography, gospel community hosting, gospel community leading, to name a few. And it's a two-way street as well. Like, I need to be willing to hold things loosely, like Moses, you know, hold things loosely so that delegation can happen. And also the rest of us, the rest of you also need to be looking for and longing for opportunities to help. Like, please don't wait to be asked. You can put up a hand. Um, if, if, there's, if, you can see, if you can see a need, we'd love to chat. Um, or maybe it's just saying, look, ask me whenever you need, whatever that might look like. Anyway, sorry, we're digressing a little bit. What is the obvious question from this obvious observation? How can you be contributing to the life of this church? How are you wired and gifted? Is it creatively? Is it musically? Is it financially? Is it in hospitality? Is it in leadership? Is it in evangelism? Is it in the caring of others? Maybe you know. But then there's the other question, the more important question, the first question that we should be asking. Are you someone who, because of the Holy Spirit's work in your heart, are you someone that is trustworthy and of the character that God calls you to so you can take on responsibility within the family of God? Are you reliable? Are you trustworthy? Are you consistent? Are you someone who thirsts after righteousness and hence makes you, makes you attentive to the needs of the family of God? In other words, does your character make up for your lack of competency? Because we can do anything if we love Jesus. We really can. Like we could have a team of SAS soldier, elite web designers and orators and nice meals. I don't know. It could look amazing. But if our heart is not postured towards us having a desire and a delight in Jesus, then we may as well just start a footy club. I long to see a church where it's the majority of people contributing their God-given gifts for God's eternal glory. I long to see a church of contributors and not consumers. I long to see a church where our hearts are on fire with our love for Jesus, wanting to serve one another and wanting to serve and tell the community that we're in about Jesus. I would love for us all to have a mentality that we're all in this together. I would love for us to remember that God does not want a team of a few star players 
He wants a team where everyone gets to play. And yes, when there's a lot of people on the playing field, there's added complexity and there's more moving parts. There's more to be organized. But as someone much wiser than me once said, the nursery will always be messy. But it's in the graveyard where things are neat. Maybe you could make it your prayer this week that you might have clarity in what your next step looks like towards serving and contributing towards your church family and what that might look like. So church, those are the two obvious observations um, from this passage, celebration and delegation. Rejoice in what God has done and it's the people, not a person that gets things done for God. Last point, lastly, and most importantly, what are we learning about the gospel of Jesus? Well, already we've, we've heard a little bit. <laughs> but this is, a passage, this is a passage that has a very heavy emphasis on how God reorganizes his leadership structure so that his people would have a greater confidence in their leader. Yeah? He reorganizes things so that when they're on that journey and when things get hard, as they go towards the promised land, as we go towards the kingdom of God, a greater realization of the kingdom of God, God is giving his people a greater confidence in their leader. God, in sending Jethro, was able to give his people a greater confidence in Moses as they were to follow him. And we see that how we see that, and we see that in how alt. Oh, I'm not going to read that word, that line. That does not make sense. In the book of Exodus, we see God's chosen leader, the one that people were to follow for their salvation and then future transformation. That he had to take a step back. Yep, God's chosen leader, as he as he led the process of salvation that God was doing and then transformation. God's chosen leader had to take a step back. He had to step back because he, like us, was a weak human being. God's grace to his people was a structure so the people could give, so God give the people confidence to keep following this weak leader because the load would be shared. How does this relate to Jesus? Well, Jesus is the new and better Moses. That although Jesus was fully man, he was also fully God. And what Jesus models to us in our journey, in our walk from a place of salvation and now in sanctification and transformation, in our journey with him leading us, he will never fail us. Jesus is not a weak leader. Jesus will endure forever. That's part of the good news of the gospel is that if you are someone who is committing to follow Jesus, you can be completely confident in putting your trust in the leadership of Jesus. Because where all other leaders in this world will fail, whether it be burnout or whether it be moral or whatever it might be, Jesus will never fail you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. His love for you is not going to be conditional once he's drawn you in to his firm grasp. King Jesus is the steadfast and most perfect leader in a journey towards our promised land, his kingdom, the kingdom of God. 
But if that wasn't enough, if that wasn't enough, there's another great reminder in this Exodus passage. There's, there's another. There's another I see what you did there moment from God. But we see that as Jethro saw how, as Jethro saw how Moses sat still and all the people had to come to him for their advice and for their counsel and then for their comfort. And we saw that it was going to be better that Moses would withdraw and send out new leaders all throughout the nation so that a greater work could be done. Yep. Well, Jesus once sat with his disciples. They had all come to him for words of life and words of advice, for words of comfort. But then Jesus, he also withdraws, doesn't he? He also withdraws. But his withdrawal is not so that he can take rest. It's for a greater reason. He tells his disciples. In John 16, Jesus says, I tell you, I tell you the truth. It is, to, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, also known as the comforter, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, he will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all the truth. Church, Jesus withdraws like Moses, but it's not out of weakness. It's so that there's a greater strength so that he can send his spirit to us, to send his spirit to take up residence in our hearts so that you can become a temple of the Holy Spirit, so that when God's spirit is in you, there's no room for anything else. For his Holy Spirit, if you have repented and believed in Jesus, if you had said sorry for your old life of sin and said yes and turned to him to follow him in a new life of obedience, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, he will give you a joy that surpasses all understanding. The Holy Spirit, he will give you a meekness and a humility and an awareness of your sin that will keep your posture before God as one of reverence and holy fear. The Holy Spirit will equip you to attack the kingdom of darkness. The Holy Spirit will give you a hunger for an honouring of the scriptures. The Holy Spirit will rewire your affections so that there's an outpouring towards God and man. He will put a fire in your belly and he will put steel in your spine so that your life would every day be more and more and more towards being for the exaltation of Jesus Christ, our mighty King. Genuine worship as led by the Holy Spirit, is worship that will thrust you into Jesus' mission. It's where you'll, you'll be forced and wonderfully forced to delightfully depend on him as he directs you and empowers you to be a witness of his love to others. There's the second most amazing news of Jesus' withdrawal. A great gift, the Holy Spirit, to lead and guide and comfort 
and strengthen us so that we would have an intimate relationship with God, our Father, so that we could continue in the work of pushing back the darkness of this world with him. Do you know Jesus in this way? Have you received his Holy Spirit to know this glorious change in your heart? Do you want to? Do you want a new life and a, and a relationship with Jesus so you can journey with him? Do you want to maybe recommit to that again today? Maybe to repent and believe and take hold of the eternal life that perhaps you lost sight of so long ago. Perhaps it's a gift that we're here in such a, a smaller number today with the sun that is shining and that is bringing warmth to our bodies and to our souls. Let me encourage you that if there's any prompting from God today to just take a stand and say, yes, I will follow you and to say sorry for what I had done in ignoring you, Today is a day that you can make that stand again with your family in Christ and be renewed and be encouraged by them as you are renewed and encouraged by his Holy Spirit. Today can be that day. There might be a new step of obedience that you take today so that God's Spirit can continue to change you and renew you in a way that you have not yet known. Maybe it's really simple. Maybe like Joash said earlier on, maybe it's just taking that first step of physical obedience to Jesus and you get baptised. And if that's you, we've got shirts, we've got towels. We know where Baptism Beach is. We can be there in half an hour. But church, I want us to be a church that, that takes the word of God seriously, that knows the celebration that we can have because of the Spirit's work in our lives and it is able to love and support one another and welcome new people into this family as we push back against the darkness of this world. Maybe you're someone that uh, is in listening to this. You're going, Louis, I I didn't know that the Holy Spirit did that in my life or could do that in my life. I didn't know that that was a reality. As the musicians musicians play, uh, they're going to play a song called Holy, Holy, Holy. I love this song because it's just uh, it's a precursor to what we're going to be singing in eternity together. So it warms us up for that. During this song, I would encourage you that if the Holy Spirit has taken a grip on your heart in a way that wasn't there this morning, um, do some business with God on your own. Please pray to him, saying sorry, saying I want to follow you, saying please help. And I would encourage you to be attentive to that prayer. And if you pray that prayer after some time, um, the musicians will probably play this song a couple of times. Um, Please come up the front and see me. I would love to pray with you too. I'd love to pray with you too. And I'm sure that there's other men and women here that also would love to pray with you as well. As they see you boldly take that step of faith to say, yes, actually, I want all that Jesus offers. 
So if there's a next step for you today, I encourage you to take it. We gather as the family of God so that we can be family, so that we can be real, so that we can hang out in the nursery. For those of you that do know the work of the Spirit in your heart, that have experienced that, keep praying for more of it. Keep praying. God, I believe. Help my unbelief. Keep praying. God, search me and know me. Show me the things that are, that, are, that are compromising my relationship with you. Reveal that to me. What are the hidden sins in my life that are stopping me from following you with everything that I have? Because, church, when you follow Jesus with everything that you have, when there's nothing holding you back, that is a race that you get to run with such freedom that you will not grow tired, you will not grow weary, you will not grow faint. It is amazing. It is amazing. It's what Jesus promises. It's what God can give. And it can be real in your life, even today. So thanks, church. I'm going to pray. I'll hand over to Amuzos and let me encourage you um, to come forward. That's you. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for this time that we can share from uh, Exodus 18. Uh, that, it's a, it's a, that it's a passage that reminds us of the joy that we can have to celebrate the good news of the gospel. And it's a passage where you're able to remind us of the shared load amongst the family of God. It's also a passage that points us to Jesus and the way that he withdraws so that your people can do an even greater and mightier work than what Jesus was doing on his own in his human capacity. I pray for each and every one of my brothers and sisters here today that you would continue to strengthen and equip us to follow you. Help us to know the genuine work of your Holy Spirit in our lives so that we could be transformed to be more like you, Jesus, and so that the, this community and this, uh, this area of the world would see a light that is pressing against the darkness of this world. Be with us all now, we pray in this week. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.